Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing, the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what it is, the m- knows what it is, the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those, whom he first, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to confirm to the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he f- called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Thanks, Hayden. You guys can grab a seat. You don't need to stand for 30 to 40 to 50 minutes. <laughs> Got that warning right? It's good. Uh, I'm Peter Brown, for those who I haven't become acquainted with. Uh, It's my privilege and great responsibility this morning, while Adam is away at NBC teaching there, uh, to share the word with you this morning. Um, I'm very grateful for uh, this opportunity and others that the elders have given me, and I just want you to recognize what, um, with what great responsibility and seriousness they take the delivery of the word here on a Sunday when Adam is gone. It's, it's not a, uh, just a fill the pulpit gig. You know, it's not a, a one-line email, hey, can you preach? It's, hey, can you preach four or five weeks in advance and let's meet and talk through scripture and, and let's see what it is that you're going to bring to the people. Um, it's not just a, a one-off. They're very much focused, uh, all of them, on the active shepherding of the body, the teaching by uh, people like me included. So we're going to continue in our study this morning uh, of great prayers. So Adam started two weeks ago with an overview of the Lord's Prayer and and the things that Jesus taught us to pray there. And then last week he spoke about praying with uh, patience and persistence. And this morning we're going to talk about how great prayers uh, and great prayers are aligned with the will of God. So our goal is to understand what it, it means to do that and why we would do that and how we do that. Uh, Adam talked about this really briefly last week in the context of Isaac praying that his wife Rebecca would conceive and that that prayer was according to the will of God and therefore it was fulfilled. And we're going to talk really in detail through that uh, now. So I'm just going to pray uh, briefly and then we'll, we'll get into our passage for this morning. Lord, we are just so thankful for this opportunity to gather here together and to spend time in your word. And we just pray that as we... Uh, delve into some deep 
theological waters and, and talk about some exciting biblical things that you have for us that your word would uh, bring clearly the things that I cannot and that uh, you would bring truth uh, here this morning through me. In your name, amen. The first reason, uh, the first thing we want to talk about, about great prayers being aligned with the will of God, is why do we do it? So, number one, why do we pray according to the will of God? Why is this an important thing? Uh, first, and perhaps easiest, well, we're, we're told to. Scripture instructs us in all kinds of places that we ought to pray according to the will of God. First uh, John 5 says, in, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. For if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, as Adam preached two weeks ago, Matthew 6.10, Jesus prays and instructs us to pray, your will be done. Later, when Jesus is praying uh, to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, while he is awaiting his own arrest and death, he prays three times uh, a very similar prayer. He says, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he prays that three times. As with many biblical directives, this one being a fairly clear one, we ought to pray according to the will of God, as Jesus told us to do and as he did himself. Uh, the simplest and easiest reason to do, it, to do it is because Scripture says so. And we shouldn't stop there. That's not enough, but that's a good reason to start. With any biblical directive, uh, we can start because we're told to and, and understand the rationale afterwards. Put the study in later to figure out, okay, I'm doing this now, I'm implementing this practice, I, and now I'm going to seek to understand it. And we can extend that to all kinds of other things. Uh, reading of Scripture, we are told to, so we ought to, and then figure out why. And often in the reading of Scripture, we will learn why we're supposed to be reading Scripture. That's a bit of a self-fulfilling kind of circle there. Uh, memorizing Scripture, same thing. It's clear. We ought to be committing Scripture uh, to memory and putting it in our hearts remaining in fellowship one another as a church. We know we ought to do it, so let's do it and then figure out why later. We know it's a clear biblical instruction. Praying according to the will of God is the same, so we ought to do it, and we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about why. The second reason we uh, pray according to the will of God, or at least we seek to, is we're promised a response when we pray according to the will of God. So this is a great reason to do so, is we know that God will respond. He will not only hear, but do things when we pray according to his will. Uh, John 14, Jesus teaches uh, his disciples. He's got them all sat down, and he, he does a very extensive uh, set of teaching here in John 14 and 15, and he tells them this a couple of times. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Later on in that same set of teaching, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Uh, and this is into teaching to the disciples, and then by extension to us. A really important thing to note right here is that we can't just look at those two little verses, stand alone, and say, okay, that's, that's perfect. Let's just latch onto those. Whatever I ask God in the name of Jesus, he's just going to do it. Like that right there is the, the kernel or the, the central tenet of, of prosperity preaching. Is You pray these things in the name of Jesus, you name it, you claim it, it is yours. You pray with enough faith, enough tenacity, enough people, enough Facebook shares, enough whatever, enough engagement, enough times, it will be answered. We need to be intentional to let Scripture interpret Scripture here as we do anywhere. 
even within this teaching, so those two passages were from John 14 and 15, where Jesus is teaching his disciples. In that set of teaching, Jesus also says in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's not a free-for-all. It's not ask and get. It's if I am in you, your words, uh, my words are in you, and you are in me, then you ask, then you will receive. There's uh, a really big key part there that it has to be within the will or in alignment with the will of God. If we're in Christ, if his word is in us, we're praying according to those things. It's not ask whatever you want, ask for a bigger boat. Those things are not the things that the word of God in us are, are going to pray and ask for. It's not name it and claim it. Uh, we pray in the name of the Son. And this is a really important point, just a little sidebar here on, on those two passages. Jesus says, pray in my name, and, and you will get what you receive. We often tag this on to prayers. We say, okay, you know, uh, you know we pray for, for all these great things, and we say these great prayers, and those are all good. And at the end, because we feel like we should, uh, we say, you know, in the name of Jesus, we pray these things, amen. And it's almost like a, a little tagline or a, a warning to those around that you're about to stop praying, right? It's, it's just something we do. Uh, what we don't recognize, though, is the importance of, of doing that and recognizing the power of it in, in the right way and recognizing why Jesus tells us to do it. In uh, a historical context, anytime you would approach a great leader or, or a king or someone, you would walk into the throne room of that king and you would have a message for him, say. You'd been sent by someone. The first question of the king to you is, by whose authority do you come? By whose name do you come? You, as a stranger, as a, 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 just a person, have no authority, have no right to approach the king by someone else's name, with someone else's power, who has the authority to speak to that king, you can deliver a message. We have the same incredible privilege through Christ. We have no ability uh, to walk right up to the Father into the throne room of God by our own will and ability. We can't do that. We don't have the right. Through the name of Jesus Christ, by his power, uh, by his authority, we can approach the Lord in prayer. It's not just a phrase. So that's the first thing. Why do we pray according to the will of God? Well, Scripture instructs us to, and, and we receive answers. Uh, the Lord does things when we pray according to his will and in the name of the Son. The second thing, then, is now that we know why, how do we pray according to the will of God? This is the bigger question. It's, it's great that we're supposed to do it, and that's wonderful, but then how do we even get there? How do we do these things? How do we pray in, according to the will of God, and, and how do we get those, seek those answers? Well, the first way, and, and Adam said this last week as well, is we pray according to Scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Those are the two key things we have available to us right now that reveal to us the will of God, right? Scripture is the written word of God. It is breathed out by him. It is uh, a very obvious and practical and accessible revealed will of God. We can pray according to scripture. Uh, and secondly, the Holy Spirit is the active agent of the Trinity. It's when Jesus left, he said, I will send you a helper. The Holy Spirit was sent here to help us and aid us understand the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit may enlighten us directly to the will of God at times. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a great example of the Holy Spirit enlightening Paul to stop praying for something. And Adam read this week, uh, last week as well. Paul said he was 
brought up into heaven in, in a vision of some kind, and in order to prevent him from becoming prideful or conceited, the Lord gave him a thorn of the flesh. We don't know exactly what that is. Three times he prayed to the Lord about it, but the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul stopped praying about that thing because the Lord said, no, this is not according to my will that I will remove that. You're going to have that in order that you may not become conceited. It's a great example of the Holy Spirit revealing something specific that isn't directly in the Word of God. Outside of those two things, if it's not in Scripture that we shouldn't be praying about it, if it's not revealed to us by the Holy Spirit that we shouldn't be praying about it, keep praying about it. Keep with much patience and persistence in prayer according to the will of God as best we can. We really can't just stop there, though. That would be a very difficult place to stop. Uh, it would make, for me anyway, prayer seem to be a, a, a somewhat shot-in-the-dark sort of affair. We've got scripture, we can hope the Holy Spirit leads us, but aside from that, we're just in prayer and hoping that we're praying for the right things in the right way. So it's not a complete statement. We can check against scripture and wait for the leading of the Holy Spirit, but beyond this, we just don't know if we're praying according to the will of God, and we may not be. We can read through scripture and see the, a great big list of things that we ought to pray or ought not to pray. We have excellent guidance there, but especially when it comes to praying about uh, things in the category of petition and supplication where we're asking the Lord for things or praying that the Lord would do things, that kind of stuff we're not going to find in scripture. Does the Lord want me to start a Master's of Applied Sciences at Ryerson University in September? Is not in here. Right? The Bible is not a resource for those kinds of prayers of petition. It's not going to show us these things. So it's not enough, those two things on their own are not necessarily enough to say, to say are we praying according to the will of God? Maybe, maybe not. Thankfully, this is not the end. The Lord did not leave us just in hope with the direction of Scripture and Holy Spirit that we would just take our best guess. We're not left there. Taking our best guess in prayer is not our only challenge we have with prayer. The other challenge we have is our flesh. And Blair spoke a bit about it this morning uh, in, in praying and in singing. The context of our key passage this morning is the whole book of Romans. The, the beautiful and difficult thing about Romans is if you read a single verse, you have to read the whole book. It's, it's just so beautifully and intric intricately woven together, you can't grasp one piece out without reading the whole thing and understanding the whole thing. And I think virtually every time I preach, I end up reading the whole book of Romans. It just happens to me. Um, but anyway, we're in Romans this morning. So the, the biggest challenge we have in prayer, aside from just the guesswork, is that we have the flesh. In all of in Romans from 1 to 7, Paul walks through the story uh, of salvation, the fundamentals of salvation, and really it also aligns with our, our kids' curriculum. It's, it's the seven seas of creation. He walks through that whole story from the rebellion, total depravity of mankind, to our redemption by grace through faith. And he takes seven chapters of the Romans to explain all of that. He says that a man can be freed from slavery to the flesh and to death and instead be made a slave to righteousness and life. And that's where we are. We've been freed from slavery to these things. We are now servants of righteousness. In Christ, our inner being, our souls are renewed. But our bodies, our physical bodies, are not renewed. 
until uh, our bodily resurrection from the dead. The, the flesh still dwells within us. There is a war raging within our members between our inner being and the flesh that dwells within us. We are not glorified. We're not perfected. So not only are we stuck doing a bit of guesswork and prayer, we also can't really even approach God directly because we have the flesh indwelling in us. Again, that's not the end. Paul writes in our passage this morning in chapter 8, he says, we pray and we approach the Father with the authority of our great high priest, the Son, in the name of Jesus Christ. Not only that, we also pray through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allows us to pray, he intercedes, and he brings our prayers to the Father. Uh, the Holy Spirit does an incredible work in us and for us in prayer. So this is where we are. We find ourselves not knowing what to pray, not knowing how to pray, not knowing what the will of God is in things. Uh, we find ourselves not knowing how to pray according to the will of God and not able to approach him ourselves. The solution to all of these things and the beautiful thing Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit fills all those gaps. He helps us to and shows us how to pray according to the will of God and he intercedes in those prayers for us so we can pray to God. For now, though, and this is what the beginning of Romans chapter 8 says, all of creation along with us is groaning and waiting for that future glory. Uh, Hayden read it a short while ago, so I won't read the whole thing again, but just briefly, we see that there is groaning amidst suffering. The whole creation groans in the pains of childbirth, of childbirth as it it waits. It's in this in-between stage where it's in suffering now in the same way we're separated sort of from God because of the flesh. We can't pray directly to him. The, the creation is suffering and waiting for future glory. We groan inwardly in verse 23 as we wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies that that flesh problem is finally dealt with. Not only does creation groan, not only do we groan, awaiting future glory, the Spirit groans with us. If we go to Romans 8, verses 26 and forward, it says, likewise, likewise referring to the creation groaning and us groaning, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, that's the Father, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So how do we pray according to the will of God? Well, number one, we check Scripture. We, we wait for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we pray according to the will of God through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. That's the how. When we pray, when we seek and, and do our best guess and, and do intercession and, and pray for other people and pray for things for us, uh, the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. And not only is he interceding, he intercedes according to the will of God. And the Father who knows our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, and he, and he receives those things. He sees those prayers. So what's it all mean? 
Because it all sounds fun and complicated, right? First, and, and most fundamentally, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, meaning praying on our behalf. Not only does he do this, he does it according to the will of God, no matter how much we miss the mark by. So if we're praying over here, hoping for this thing, the Holy Spirit is with us and knows that we don't know how to pray as we ought to, and he is interceding on our behalf according to the will of God. Second thing it means is that the Lord is hearing our prayers because of the Holy Spirit. It has absolutely nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with how contrite I am or what time of night it is or if I didn't pray the last four nights and I'm praying four times as long tonight. It doesn't matter what physical posture I'm in. Those things are far less relevant, far less important than the fact that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. As with all things in uh, our faith, right, by grace through faith, it has nothing to do with us. More and more as you study and read, you'll, you'll find that everything to do with our salvation and our faith has very little to do with us, prayer included. The last thing and most exciting thing is that the intercession of the Spirit is not only according to the will of God, but those things work together for our good. That passage that we know and reference and refer to, you know, all things work together for good, that's linked to prayer, and that's linked to the Holy Spirit's intercession on our behalf. We pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes according to the will of God, and those things and all things work together for our good. So even though we're praying over here, hoping for one thing and waiting on the Lord and not really knowing what we should be praying for, the Holy Spirit's praying over here according to the will of God, and those things are for our good. Uh, just a couple of brief personal examples I'll give you just to kind of give some context, because the hard thing about this for anyone is that we pray and we think we're praying for the best thing. We think we're praying for the thing that's got to be according to the will of God because we think it's for our good. And that isn't always the way it works out. And sometimes we see the working of the Lord within our lifetime, within a short period of time, that yes, this was for our good. Sometimes we don't. I'll give you a few brief ones uh, from, from my life and, and uh, Grace and I. Uh, first ones are related to school for me. I said that at the beginning, you know, Lord, do you want me, should I be, ought I be to going to Ryerson in the fall to pursue a master's degree? I don't know, maybe. Makes sense to me. I think it's for the greater good. I'd love to work at the college, you know. That's the end goal. Definitely for my good. Makes all kinds of sense. So, you know, you go through the process, you go through the motions, and we pray. And pray and pray and wait and wait until the last possible acceptance date, and then you get an email saying you're in. And okay, that that's what we've been praying for, but are we sure we ought to do it? Well, I don't know. And then you get another email that says, uh, you're not only in, but you qualify for a uh, scholarship to pay for your tuition. Sounds pretty good. No, and and you, you, in this prayer in particular, I've uh, come to realize I was praying for this. I was praying for acceptance. I just wanted to get in. That was probably enough for me. I was good with that. And the Holy Spirit was over here saying, no, according to the will of God, I am praying for your greater good that you will get in and not pay. You know, I, I'm, I'm not complaining about that one. That was phenomenal. <laughs> Another uh, prayer example is that Grace and I have been praying about her concussion recovery for a year and a bit-ish. And we're praying over here consistently all the time. Uh, Grace is going to wake up well tomorrow. That has been the prayer for 14 months. 
uh, and the Holy Spirit, evidently, has been over here uh, praying something else. According to the will of God, for our good. And we've seen short-term many blessings related to Grace's concussion. In particular, our marriage has been so uh, remarkably strengthened. I've grown in patience in ways I did not know I could. Uh, And Grace has grown to appreciate and uh, respect me in ways she did not know she would. Uh, For Grace, we've received some direction through this that uh, at this point, school is not the thing for her. So she hasn't been uh, in school. She was uh, studying at Moody. But what she has been doing is painting virtually full-time. She's doing lots and lots of art. uh, And we found phenomenal fulfillment and joy in that in a different way than we would have expected. Uh, And through the same thing, we've seen many opportunities for the gospel that we wouldn't have. If she'd recovered right away, we wouldn't have uh, chances to see uh, the people who are doing her treatments. And her massage therapist in particular, uh, we pray for all the time. And Grace has an hour with her every so often and gets to witness to her through her life and share uh, life with her over the period of more than a year. So we don't, we just don't know. Sometimes we're praying for things that we think are good and the Lord has something that from our short-term perspective is much, much better. Sometimes we're praying for something that we think is good and the Lord has got something for us that clearly in the short term we do not think is much, much better. And we struggle with that. It's not easy. No matter which way we think things are going or where we think we are according to what the Spirit has for us and is praying for us, we can be certain that not only is the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf, according to the will of God, but it's for our good and according to his will. It gets more exciting than this even. Not only are these things for our good, Paul ties all this together with our assurance for salvation. Another passage that we know or at least are familiar with at the end of Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to read 28 to 30. Verse 27, he says, The Holy Spirit is interceding according to the will of God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a great text for assurance of salvation. If the Lord has called and predestined and saved and justified us, he will glorify us. It's definitive, we know it. And immediately preceding that, Paul is telling us that the Holy Spirit is interceding to the Lord according to the will of God for our good. And so we know we have assurance of salvation. It's the same assurance. We can be as sure in the Holy Spirit's intercession on our behalf for our good as we are in the working of the Lord in salvation. All this together means that our prayers don't need to be exact. We're not trying to nail like the perfect formula or the perfect combination or thread the needle with the right words, the right characteristics, the right posture, right anything. We pray according to Scripture and according to leading the Holy Spirit as best we can. And we rely on the intercession of the Holy Spirit to bring our prayers to the Lord 
according to his will. Prayer is not a problem we can solve. It's not a, a magical combination we can create. We can't emulate the perfect prayer to twist God's arm. There's no formula for this. We pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes, the Lord receives according to his will. Prayer then is it's our communication with God. It's our communion with him interceded by the Holy Spirit. On a personal and practical note, what this means then is that because we're not aiming for some perfect formula, it's not all the right things, our prayers are, f- are free. They are free to be full of uh, the things that we are full of. If we're full of emotion, we can pray full of emotion. If we're full of praise for the Lord, we can pray with praise. We can pray with joy, sadness, grief, tears, humility when we recognize who we are before the Lord. Uh, we can pray in frustration when his ways are clearly not our ways. Uh, we can pray in hope as we wait on his will and faith that all things will work for our good. The last question I want to address together is how do we know that prayer is even effective if it's just according to the will of God anyway? This is the more academic question of the three. We pray and it's interceded by the Holy Spirit according to the will of God, the Lord does his will. So why pray? Right? That's the the question that I was wrestling with the whole week, is why do we even do this? It, it ends up being according to the will of the Lord anyway. What is prayer effective? And how do we know that it is? Well, to answer this question, we're going to look briefly at two things. We're going to look first at the will of God and, and sovereignty and how God is sovereign, and then we're going to talk about the efficacy or effectiveness of prayer. First, Scripture is clear, absolutely clear, that God is sovereign that he is over all things. We'll just go through a couple of passages really, passages really briefly. We can be more specific through these as to what sovereignty means. It means that he is provident, and his providence and his sovereignty extend to all aspects of our lives. He is over all things, in all things. And we're gonna, I'm going to read a couple of passages really briefly. There's lots and lots we could go through. I, I trimmed this down a fair bit just for time, but I'll read these ones. Uh, for you. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He may use earthly means for those things. We get a paycheck, we buy food, but the Lord is providing for all of our needs. Uh, In Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none. Before the psalmist was born, the Lord had recorded his days. Uh, Proverbs 16 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We have a plan, but the Lord guides our steps anyway, according to our plan or not. And in Philippians 2, Paul writes, Beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Lord's sovereignty, his working in things, is everywhere. Our steps, our days, our will and, and desire to work for him for his good pleasure, establishing our steps, providing for our needs, are all things the Lord does in his sovereignty. And we take great comfort in that. And I I rejoice in the sovereignty of God. I am 
far more grateful that we have a sovereign God who has a plan, who's in control, than one who is swayed by the person who prays the longest, right? I am far more grateful for a Lord that has a plan for me and has assurance of salvation for me because he is working it in me than a salvation that is dependent upon myself because I would fail. So that's the first thing. Scripture is clear that God is sovereign, and we find great peace in that. The second thing, though, is that Scripture is also clear that prayer is effective. And we're going to run through a couple of passages briefly. Since we know that God knows and ordains all things, uh, the question, of course, is, are our prayers effective? Scripture says yes, and a number of places uh, we'll go through. So James writes to a church who have been sinning and doing all kinds of nonsense, and he says to them, after exhorting them to stop sinning, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You're missing all these godly characteristics in your church. You're missing the ability to fellowship together. You're missing the ability to just stop sinning outright because you haven't asked. You do not have because you do not ask. They do not have the things that God would give them if they only asked. So what this tells us is there are things that God will and would do if we only ask for them. Prayer is effective. Jesus tells his disciples uh, that asking and answering are directly related. It's, it's a passage we uh, know from Luke 11. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. It doesn't necessarily mean right away or in the way we expect, but there is an association there. We ask, the Lord answers. Moses uh, records this account in the book of Exodus. After the people have created a golden calf and all bowed down in worship while Moses is receiving the law of the Lord on the mountain, they're down there worshiping an idol, and the Lord is so angered, he is determined to destroy the people of Israel, and he says that he will. And this is from Exodus 32. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses prayed, and the Lord answered. John uh, wrote to the churches in, in 1 John, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess in prayer, the Lord forgives. Finally, James writes uh, in James 5, he says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer is effective. Prayer has great power. Prayer is working. What I want us to catch is that God being sovereign over all things, over our steps, our days, our ways, the things that we do, 
doesn't make prayer simply an exercise. It doesn't make it just a part of sanctification that we pray for something and then we seek it more. It doesn't make it just a way for us to passively participate in what the Lord is doing, where we pray for something and then we recognize that the Lord has, has done it independent of our prayer. It's not just something God has ordained for us to do that we don't participate with or aren't active in. It's not a part of some deterministic plan of God. Praying according to the will of God doesn't make it futile. Rather, it allows us to participate effectively in the work of the Lord through the mediation of the Holy Spirit. God uses our prayer as an active, effective, and powerful instrument. It is a means that he can and will use to do things and to bring about change. In studying this, I, I read uh, some commentary by Wayne Grudem, and he wrote about the sovereignty of God and moral responsibility of man, which is a similar sort of discussion. And I took his quote on that topic and adapted it to ours. What Grudem says that we'll apply here says, God causes all things that happen. That's his sovereignty. But he does so in such a way that he somehow upholds our ability to pray, the effectiveness of prayer, and the reality that prayer brings about change and allows us to participate in the kingdom and working of God. Exactly how God combines his providential control with our prayer, Scripture just does not explain to us with enough detail that we can give a confident answer. But rather than denying one or the other, we should accept both so we can be faithful to the teaching of all of Scripture. So is God sovereign? Absolutely. Is prayer effective? Absolutely. Can I give you a, a phenomenal, perfect, like, bang-on explanation of how that works? No. God is way bigger than I am. And the way he does these things is, is far bigger than my brain can handle. So altogether, uh, why do we pray according to the will of God? Well, number one, we're instructed to. So we ought to do it just from there. Second, we're promised a response if we do so. The Lord will answer. How do we pray then according to the will of God, knowing that we're told to and that, and that he will answer if we do? Well, we pray according to Scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We check against the Word of God. We wait for prompting by the Holy Spirit. Beyond those things, keep praying. Second, and beyond those things, we know that when we pray, whether we're spot on exactly what the Lord is going to do or not, I, I have yet to be, so best of luck to you, uh, we know that the Spirit is interceding for us, and He is interceding according to the will of God for our good. And then lastly, how is prayer effective if it's according to the will of God? Well, we affirm two things, that God is sovereign and prayer is effective. Scripture promises that prayer can result in action by God. It is effective. It does things. The Lord uses it as a tool, uh, and he asks us and allows us to pray in that way. Paul's writing in Romans uh, culminates immediately after our text. It's the, the pinnacle of the book. Having reflected on the incredible working of God in salvation, in bringing about our redemption by grace through faith, uh, our adoption as sons and heirs through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is all in Romans 7 and 8. He's reflected on the participation of the Holy Spirit in our groaning as we wait through suffering for the coming glory of the kingdom. 
and he's written about the intercession of the Holy Spirit according to the will of God for our good. Having said all those things, he just erupts in, non-characteristically for Paul, in praise, having come to the end of this big theological uh, structure, and he rejoices as we ought to now. He says in Romans 8, 31 through 39, having just spoken about the surety we have in prayer and the surety we have in salvation. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord who is doing all of these things and has promised all of these things to us invites us to pray to him according to his will, knowing that he will respond. Praying in accordance to scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit by the authority of the Son, our great high priest, through the intercession of the Holy Spirit and all for our good so we can participate in his work, bring about change, and invite him to work in our families and our church uh, and through us in the places we work and live uh, and in our city. Let's just pray about all of those things. Lord, the promises that you give us are so big that you allow us in your sovereignty to approach your throne room with the authority of your Son through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. That what we pray uh, is heard according to your will. And what you do according to your will, you do for our good. This is a big promise. So now, Lord, we pray in the authority of the Son, through the intercession of the Holy Spirit, that you would work greatly in us. Lord, if we believed the things Scripture says about prayer, we would pray a whole lot more. Lord, may we do that. Uh, let's pray for our evangelism. Let's pray for our neighbors, our co-workers, that you would hear us according to your will, that all would be saved. And you would act and bring salvation to those people and into our body that we can disciple them and train them in your word and make them effective disciples uh, for you. We thank you again just for the greatness of your promises, this being just one of many. In your name, 
Amen. In the book of Revelation, John tells us at least two remarkable things about prayer that I'll, I'll share, you, share with you briefly. Uh, in Revelations 5, 8, John writes of things that he's observing. When he had taken of the scroll, or taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We know that no matter how we pray, what we pray, how far off the mark we are, our prayers are incense in the throne room of God. We bring glory to him. It's pleasing to him that we pray as incense is. In Revelations 8, he again observes, another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints and on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Our prayers are a part of the Lord bringing his kingdom. When those censers are full, the Lord throws them on the altar. He grabs fire from the altar and throws it to the earth. And he returns and he brings his kingdom. When we aren't getting the answer we expect or don't know how long we're going to have to pray for something or don't know what to pray or how to pray according to the will of God, regardless of those things, our prayers bring him glory. He delights in them and they serve to bring about his kingdom. So let's go from here knowing that the Lord hears our prayers as the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf according to his will for our good.